Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Friday afternoon. Friday is simply my favourite time of the week because we get to do the Agenda Cafe and bring to you very important issues that we should all care about. And I'd love to welcome our co-host to the programme, Karen Ko. Karen, it's good to see you. How are you? I'm great, Noreen. Great to see you as well, as always, on a Friday. And we have such a great show today. I'm really excited about it. Yes. Absolutely. So what are we going to talk about? And by the way, before we forget, we are live this afternoon on Facebook, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. You'll be able to see us and a wonderful panel of guests to discuss the topic today. What are we talking about today, Karen? Yes. So we are um, talking about, well, I guess two things, kind of uh, up against next Monday, which if listeners didn't know, is the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia. That's Monday the 17th. And it's uh, an international day which is aimed at celebrating diversity and raising awareness of the human rights of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex people. And so on today's Agenda Cafe, we're going to look at specifically how transgender people and also other sexual and gender minorities in general in Hong Kong are being treated both by the law and by society. And very fortunately, a new survey just came out earlier this week, which revealed, you know, some of the very serious difficulties that transgender people face in Hong Kong in day-to-day life. And we're thrilled to have um, some people who have been quite closely involved in the research uh, join us for our show today. So we're very happy to welcome Professor Sun Yu Tung, who's the founding director of the Sexualities Research Program at the Chinese University of Hong Kong, as well as Joanne Lung from the Transgender Resource Center, and Michael Vidler, who is a senior partner at Vidler & Company Solicitors. So welcome Hi. to all of you. Thanks for joining us for, for this week's Agenda Cafe. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's, it's really great that this um, research has come out and very timely. So, Professor Sen, let me start with you, because you led this uh, research team, which surveyed 234 transgender people over the last two years or so. Now, why did you decide to do this research? Well, um, our team has been conducting a lot of research on uh, LGBT plus issues uh, with the belief that there has been a lot of discussion about uh, LGBT plus people, LGBT plus issues, but with very little empirical evidence to uh, rest on. And as a sociologist, basically, um, my belief is that uh, debates should be grounded on empirical evidence. And this project that uh, Joanne and the Transgender Resource Center very kindly invited us uh, 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 to take part in is basically grounded in the belief that when there is policy debate, especially on minorities, it shouldn't only be about values or what you think about a certain group. It really should be grounded in how actually actually that group lives in society, what are their lived experiences. So when uh, Joanne and the Transgender Resource Center very kindly entrusted us with this opportunity, we think that this would be really meaningful uh, 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 to do it. Especially personally, I was also um, uh, uh, did quite a number of seminars and discussion back in 2017 when the 
uh, public consultation on legal gender recognition came out, uh, which I'm sure that Michael and Joanne will talk more about later. When I when I was involved in the debate, I was really frustrated that when uh, the different sides want to engage in the argument, that there's no empirical evidence that we can ground on. And that is really the belief in which that this uh, uh, study uh, is grounded on to provide that empirical evidence. Yeah. And if we look at some of the results, um, I, I'll, I'll go through just a few of the findings since, since there are quite a lot. For example, over half of respondents said they'd face discrimination in the workplace, schools, businesses, or even just accessing premises. 76% said they felt rejected in their social lives, including by their family members and partners. And close to two thirds also said that they'd experienced victimization like verbal or physical assault, unwanted sexual contact, threats by blackmail um, or by others to disclose their gender identity. And then over 40% said they received negative treatment crossing the border last year. So, you know, these are all kind of shocking um, uh, numbers Findings, to hear. Yeah. But but when you when you look at it, are you surprised that this is what people are experiencing? Maybe Joanne, can you can you take that for us? I think uh, for over thirteen years, I've been uh, in servicing the transgender community. This is uh, the real situation those uh, transgender people are facing every day. So it's not uh, out of my exp uh, expectation that uh, the figure come out like this. And uh, it's luckily we have a uh, professor Shin uh, that uh, turned the real story into some. Uh, and people data so that we can show the uh, society and the government saying, uh, telling them actually uh, transgender people, uh, they are facing this kind of uh, exclusion, discrimination and uh, suppression every day. Joanne, can you give us some examples of, you know, victimization? What do you mean by that? Uh, actually, uh, maybe you can see uh, like Hong Kong and Taiwan, the society change a lot, but uh, it's on a certain level, uh, actually nowadays there's a lot of people they can accept transgender people or transsexual people, but uh, provided that they are not their family members or they are not uh, working with them or they are not uh, their friends, uh, that that's all right. But uh, in case uh, uh, they have a close relationship, that's another story. So there's a lot of uh, exclusion. Uh, like uh, we we have uh, uh, received a lot of uh, uh, requests from transgender people saying that their family uh, couldn't accept them. But I think that is very useful uh, because actually the concept of transgender is not easy to understand. A lot of people think that, oh, you are going a wrong way uh, you, uh, just to... Uh, um, Take a lot of waste on yourself, and uh, you are not according to the society norm. But they have no choice, you know. They they have a lot of emotional issues. Uh, they're facing a lot of struggling, and they always try to be a normal people. But in fact, they cannot do that because it's inborn in their mind. So it's very difficult to walk on that kind of uh, uh, life path. Yeah, I read somewhere that transgender people are more likely to develop depression, for example. How prevalent is that? And, you know, how is their mental health being affected? Perhaps you can tell us a little bit more, Joanne. 
uh, maybe I give the mic to Professor Chen. Yeah, you sure, have more. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, mental health among transgender people is a topic that I talk at times and times again in um, in my different classes. That so far, maybe my ignorance, I haven't been able to find a social group whose mental health is as bad as that. Say, for example, in this survey, we found that, um, uh, let's look at these. Um, so 43% of the respondents showed moderate to severe levels of depressive symptoms. 35% showed moderate to severe levels of anxiety symptoms. And if we look at some of these figures that, uh, that, that are coming up, could be very distressing, that 31% of the respondents reported non-suicidal self-injury in, in behavior in the past 12 months. And, all, um, and then um, uh, uh, over their lifetime, 77% of them contemplated suicide. That's 26% shocking. made a suicide plan and 13% attempted um, a, a suicide in their lifetime. And, and this is not, I mean, this is not the first time I read out such data. I've, write, I've been writing papers about them, but even just reading them out in front of me, this makes me feel highly uncomfortable. Yeah. How just is a society when a group of people is experiencing mental health like this? And, and one thing I really want to emphasize is that we really should emphasize that it is not being transgender per se that would bring uh, a first mental health. It is a societal environment. It is a legal environment. It is a social environment that is unaccepting and unsupportive that bring uh, transgender people to experience that not because of being transgender itself. Well, you can, yes. if, if, you, if you look at if you look at the uh, effects of the the, the legal uh, situation, the landscape that we find ourselves in now, that the, the survey revealed, uh, it, you know, translates to um, none of those who are trans men uh, in the survey um, were within the criteria that they would be able to change their ID cards. So, on a daily basis, they are presented with situations of presenting an ID card which records a gender which is as at variance to. The, the acquired gender where they present to everybody. So um, you have a trans man who, for all intents and purposes, like a man, has, you know, bearded, um, you know, muscle build, uh, low voice. And yet that person, every time they go into a bank, every time they seek to open a contract for a mobile phone or internet service provider, every time they go into some buildings, every time they access public services, they have to present their ID card that shows a different gender to the one that they present. And, you know, it's therefore unsurprising that they're going to have issues, mental health issues, because that's a continual um, confrontation that they have to face daily discrimination and um, questioning of their identity, their gender identity. Every time they go about these, these normal tasks that we all take for granted on a daily basis. So I, I think it's, it's just reflective of the reality that comes from the way we identify people in their required gender, or the uh, the 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 over uh, over difficult way in which they do so, which is subject to the challenge. Michael, I'm in, yes. I, I'm informed that um, that if you want to change, so your ID card, you can't change your gender. But I'm informed that you know for trans for transgender people, if they go to a bank and they specifically request for to be addressed as Ms., um, that the letters can be changed. I, I, is that true? 
I mean, on a, that's that's what whether a particular bank will agree to do that. Then when that's up to the bank, but the yeah, problem yeah. is you've got you're presented with counter staff who say, "Can I have your ID card, please?" Uh, every time you want to do a, a over-the-counter transaction, so you produce your ID card, they look at it and go, "Oh." Uh, and then you have these awkward questions mm, that yeah. arise. I mean, you, you see the statistics in, in the survey from uh, immigration control. That's just what happens at immigration. Think of what happens every single day when you present your ID card. When you go into a building, can I see your ID card? So you register for that. Oh. Uh, Michael, Michael, I'm sorry. I just what? want to follow up with, with in terms of you know, in in terms of the eyes of the law. If a trans woman is subjected to um, sexual assault and and the police officers come to the scene, would she then be sort of uh, taken into custody and treated as a woman, or would she be treated as her birth gender? Uh, the, the, can you the general of... police the, the police attitude or uh, policy is to adopt the gender and the part and the birth certificate. Yeah. So, you know, in Seriously? terms of... Seriously? Even yeah. if she's, you know, a, a trans yeah, woman, um, fully woman... We've, wow. we've you know, we, I, I remember going to a training um, with Peter Redding for the Equal Opportunities Commission with the police you know, seven years ago about this issue. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, that's, that's the, the policy that they have in place now. Um, I'm welcome to hear from them if that's not the case. So, sorry, Michael, what, what laws do we need to give transgender the same rights and protections that cisgender people have? Well, I mean, two things you need is you would need anti-discrimination legislation, but that applies for LGBTI um, across the board. And that would assist in the private sphere uh, so that in terms of uh, a classic example, if you, you, know, you go into a, a uh, a baker's and you want to bake a, a wedding cake or something and they say oh you're transgender uh, we don't have to we're not going to do that for transgender people um there's nothing you can do because there's no protections so that's that's the one problem but the the, the legal challenges that we have but um, the trouble with relate... that is how do you prove that they're not wanting to sell you the cake because you're transgender something like well, this that's, that's, maybe that's, they just don't want to sell it well that's a that's a that's a different issue but the, the point is there is no ability to um, protect people from discrimination um, based on whether they're lesbian or gay or transgender or, or intersex. Because that's and difficult to prove because there's you can't... There's no law. There's no law. You can't... You, you can't say, maybe not, we, yeah, sorry, go on, Michael. If there is a law, it can be proved because there are presumptions that come into place by your behaviour. It's, it's like with race discrimination. You know, you don't get situations where people belong and they, they use racial epithets to people's face. It's the way that they treat it. And so that there's built into the legislation uh, presumptions. Um, but the fact is, there is no legislation for that private sphere protection. But the, the challenges that we have relate to when someone is recognised in their acquired gender. And, and hence, when they get their ID card changed to mark their uh, their their gender according to their acquired gender, you know, and this issue went went back to the W case, um, which I think was 2013. Um, the court took an extraordinary step of suspending the judgment and, it's, in essence, the rights of W for one year, and that was for the express purpose of the government to introduce comprehensive gender identity legislation, i.e., to deal with the issue of when do you recognise someone? Because the court clearly had concerns about that. And the court looked at the different systems, in fact, in other countries, as a, and what I took to be a gentle hint for the government 
This isn't so difficult. Look at these different countries. We've referenced them. Get a move on. Um, after 12 months, nothing was done. The only thing that was done was this interdepartmental um, consultation group was set up um, to deal with the issue, which came up with a consultation uh, in 2017. Is that right, Tom? And that's only for in relation to part, part of the issue. And we've heard nothing since. So it's been you know, how many years since the, 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 the case is concluded and when the Court of Final Appeal directed the government to uh, or suspended the, the, the judgment for the express purpose of introducing legislation. And we've got we're nowhere near this legislation. So for me, that just shows the 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 real attitude that the, the government has to these sort of issues, uh, which is very disappointing because we we've signed up to international obligations. Uh, and the government in its in its in the UN and and, and other presentation states that it is anti-discrimination and we're making steps forward, but in, its actions don't appear to match its words. Yeah. Um, Seems so, unmotivated to do anything. Yeah. And, and hence we we filed the the um, QR and Henry Say case, which is on point in relation to well, look, this is not good enough. We we need. Therefore, we need to go back to court to say, look, you, you've, you've got to, you're breaching people's rights um, in not introducing this legislation. Yes. So moving on from the W decision, we, we've had to, to directly deal with the fact of the, of the government in action. Yeah. Professor Sen, does this, the research that you've just published, will that help in bringing the issue back on the table, putting it in front of the government again, because you're able to say, look, we actually have data that shows what people are going through. I, I certainly hope, uh, but um, I, I, I don't know whether I uh, could risk being too um, overly uh, optimistic if I say yes, because um, even within my uh, short academic career, I've been um, engaged in uh, quite a number of different uh, research projects, including one back in uh, 2014 to 2016 with uh, the Equal Opportunities Commission when uh, Dr. Yok Chow was the chairperson looking at uh, legislation against discrimination on the grounds of sexual orientation, gender identity, and also intersex status. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we also don't see much progress uh, on that front as well. Despite that, there's an even longer uh, ongoing discussion. The, the discussion about anti-discrimination legislation uh, um, uh, for sexual orientation, that went back to mid-1990s. I think mid-1990s, I was, uh, uh, what, 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 maybe I was in primary school, actually. <laughs> Well, it was, um, I think, yeah, I think 1995, I was, uh, I was 10 years old at that time. And then, so now when I am already a professor who's already done nine years of research, that debate hasn't moved on. And then, so, so like, I, I don't know, this time I'm like one, actually one of the, the reasons that we publish the research is really want to push this debate on legal gender recognition forward that has been ongoing for such a long time. And every time, when a judicial review um, uh, a case or this kind of debate comes out, when media uh, talks to me, I've always tell them the fact is that it is a legal and policy debate, but it also means people's lived experiences and suffering are actually getting on longer and longer. 
that like when a report is from the government or when a legal change is delayed, it's not only a legal and policy debate, all the injustice that we see this report documents. Actually, it means that the longer that the interdepartmental group does not respond, people are facing those things for every single day, every single minute of their life. So I really hope that the empirical evidence can help push things to move faster. These are not, I mean, these are statistics, but behind the statistics, these are real people who are suffering on a daily basis. So I really feel um, perhaps angry about it. I think usually a researcher wouldn't use that word, but I think especially when I look at um, uh, statistics about transgender, I really can't help but feel really angry about it. Yeah. 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 How do how do you bring the issue back up? I mean, if they set up this consultation in 2017 and have come to no conclusions, no publications, you know, it's just floated well, away somewhere. We're, we're, we're going back to court, um, so there is an ongoing case, uh, and the appeal in that is going to be coming up in uh, September uh, of this year, um, and just. I understand Tung might not want to blow his own trumpet in relation to the survey, but I, you know, it, it will be. We very much hope to be able to use some of the statistics, um, you know, the empirical evidence that the surveys brought out in that appeal, um, because it wasn't available in the lower court. And the court noted that there wasn't a lot of empirical evidence in support of round three of our claim, which in relation to the discrimination. Um, so, yes, we, we hope to use it for ongoing litigation and for 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 future litigation uh, in relation to this issue because it unfortunately the the legislative um uh field or or framework that we have at the moment means and i think we've had it for many years means that there i in my view there is little prospect of um uh, the social reform required or, or the, the legislation required in this area of social reform uh, through the legislature. So my view is always, has been for many years that the best way forward, unfortunately, appears to be um, through challenges. Uh, and that's clearly not the best way. Um, but in default of there being any other movement in the legislature, I think this is the only way forward. Um, so, but, but, but I think the, the, it's not just useful for litigation. I think the survey is very useful for informing public discourse in a in a factually correct manner to aid um, in, informed media reporting to aid policy consideration. Uh, so I think it, it is a very very important and useful piece of research uh, and survey. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm quite I'm optimistic. That, Sorry, go on, Joanne. I agree with uh, Michael, but I think a uh, few people right now here is working in different aspects. So for me, I think uh, yesterday actually I sent a report to the IWG Interdepartmental Working Group on Gender Recognition and hope that uh, 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 besides the two angry men here, <laughs> I will be more friendly to them. And I hope I, hope, uh, I can uh, do them a favor to let them know what to do. Actually, I think they, they all know how wh what they are going to do. But I think one problem is the social, um, how to say, social conflict. Because, you know, there's uh, quite some... Uh, angry guy over there, the anti-LGBT people, they are always object us and they think that they are, we are going to abuse them in another way. 
So uh, I think uh, telling the figures and telling some stories like uh, I have three uh, trans uh, women. Joanne, I might need to uh, get you to hold that thought. We'll continue with the social conflict because we have to break for the uh, 2.30 news. We'll return to uh, this very interesting topic uh, with Joanne, Professor Soon and Oskai. Right, welcome back to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen Mir, on this um, Friday. I was going to say Monday afternoon. This uh, Friday afternoon, and today on the Agenda Cafe, we welcome back to the program Karen Co, our wonderful co-host. Karen, how are you doing? We're having a really good discussion uh, following the release of uh, a great survey on transgender issues in Hong Kong. And just before the break, Joanne was telling us how, you know, on one hand we do have the legal aspects, but of course. As as Professor Sun has been saying before as well, the data behind the data are people's lived experience. And so, Joanne, you were talking about some of the social conflict and the fact that some some people in society, some of whom are powerful and decision makers, are afraid to even you know discuss the issue or are afraid that if issues like this come to the fore, it's going to change society. Do you want to just keep going on that on that idea? Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, issues that we we have to deal with. Uh, for example, religious. Um, and I'm a Christian myself, and so I have another position to talk with them because we all believe on the same Bible, but different uh, understanding, you know. <laughs> so and also uh, for the for the political side, uh, I'm also uh, one of the member of the uh, Democratic Party, and uh, we always have a meeting. Even though I'm now in Taiwan, so we're working together to uh, weigh some uh, different issues. Well, example this is I think this is the first year that demographic party uh, issue a, a poster and ban- and a statement that uh, uh, telling people about the uh, Idaho in the last day of uh, yeah along yes. learning <laughs> next Monday <laughs> yes. next Monday so it's a, a very good gesture for uh, Democratic party to show them uh, they're supporting the, this kind of issues uh, they are actually human rights everybody uh, eligible to have this kind of right, but you have different belief. It's okay. Yeah, I ha- I'm a Christian also. So how come you discriminate on somebody with different sexual orientation and gender identity? So uh, there's a lot of ways we have to work with. But I think I do think that there's a lot of fears within the society as well as within the transgender community. So on this report, uh, I understand. Uh, why there's some uh, figures that uh, we are we feel very sad about that is it's a kind of fear that uh, transgender people uh, hesitate to to conf- con- uh, confront with people or telling people uh, that um, they are they are they are not the same with you uh, they are transgender people or how to say um, they they don't have the courage to be who they are. This is the most difficult uh, they are facing every day. And in another way that the society cannot uh, read with the story from uh, this world, people be because they are so hesitant to uh, tell the society what they really, really are. So there's a, a loop in between. And I'm sure Professor Sun and, and Michael, they have uh, uh, more experience dealing with the uh, legal case or uh, some uh, uh, research case in these kind of stories. 
so uh so we see people group together we will want to form form a better uh strategy uh, to tackle in different areas legal and uh, research and yeah religious and social understanding that's all we want to have to yeah i want to pick up on a point i want to pick up on a point you know that that was mentioned earlier you know i I really think the empirical evidence will serve well because the government is very sort of big on data they 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 like data they so i i I think i'm quite optimistic about that but just a point that joanne and also professor soon and also um, michael vidler brought up you know should the courts be the place to set to, to to settle social issues should we leave it to the courts. I mean, surely these are societal issues that really should go through LegCo. And, um, and, uh, but the, the, the trouble is, and I've got to be careful how I, I phrase this, you know, the, the, the trouble is you've got um, a, a, this sort of uh, echelon of people in LegCo who are f- fairly religious. And because of their religious belief, and I know, Joanne, you mentioned just now you're, you're also a Christian, perhaps their reading is, is different to your reading, and they will block you know, certain bills and, and it'll make it difficult. Um, M- Michael, I mean, you, you've been battling this for, for, for a number of years. Uh, how do you sort of go about changing changing I, I, them? I think, I think part of the problem is that there's been a conflation of the concepts or the ideas of sexual orientation and gender identity. You know, sexual orientation is who you are attracted to. Gender identity is who you are in yourself. What is your gender? What's your, uh, you know, self-recognition? And there has been uh, a conflation of the two ideas, and uh, unfortunately, which has meant that there was resistance um, amongst some religious groups uh, in the lead up to the W case. But it was... Um, but the, the, the way, trouble is, in the title of LGBTQI, you're lumping all sort of gender minorities all, all together. So in, in the title itself, that's the sure, issue as well. I'm sure people, if, you know, if they know the differences, it's not that difficult to distinguish between the two. Uh, and so there's the, the religious, uh, or certain members of the religious community are die-on-the-wall opponents of gay marriage. And so because of conflating in transgender, it's sort of, oh, well, we oppose that as well when it is nothing to do with that. And right. so there was a degree of resistance um, with the W case. Um, but there was also a little bit of ambivalence on them because there was a recognition that ostensibly W, and this is before the case, W, who presented as a woman to all intents and purposes, would be able to, under the law as it then was, marry a woman. So ostensibly there was sort of same-sex marriage <laughs> yeah. so there was this sort of com- confusion. The confusion in their minds so actually the the opposition when we got closer to the case and when it got the court of final appeal there was there was less um opposition to it than we'd had for some other um uh, lesbian and gay cases um and on top of that and this is ties in with with legco that it was very interesting to argue as well that in fact this is with, with w China was more advanced in relation to recognition of, of, of trans people right to marry in their acquired gender than Hong Kong was. Um, you know, and so that Amazing. was a very interesting argument to put, that, well, have a look at China, have a look at Singapore, have a look at the UK. They're all, they're all more advanced than Hong Kong. So that was something that the court, I think, took note of. And I think that's something which perhaps legislators who avow, you know, who, who associate themselves with the PLC, um, 
might want to consider as well, that I think that the PRC's attitude is slightly more open than Hong Kong is in many respects in terms of LGBTI rights. Hong Kong is um, very conservative. Yeah, but Hong, Hong Kong also got... doesn't want to educate itself. This is the problem. If, if as Joanne said, there is more awareness and people are not afraid to live next door to a transgender person or to go out for drinks with, you know, a, a gay person, how would you know someone's transgender? Exactly, <laughs> and so they they have all these fictitious ideas of who these people are without even, you know, wanting to get to know them. Yeah, no, Professor Sven, I can see you want to say that. Yeah, but there's one point that I really want to add is that, um, is that I think, like, there is some concern whether if the progress comes through court, it would, like, be uh, out of sync with society. And, and, and I, I understand that concern, but I think I also want to bring in another strand of my research, which is about public attitudes. So for the past decade uh, almost that uh, me and also colleagues at other universities has been tracking public attitudes towards LGBTI issues. And so last year we did another round as well. And personally, I was really perhaps surprised that uh, public attitudes towards transgender issues and people, not only has that been getting more positive, but that's even yeah. more positive than um, sexual uh, than attitudes towards sexual minorities as well. So and, and and so I think that is also something that we need to to take into account is that actually public attitudes are also uh, changing as well. Yeah. Well, we've yeah. only got I, five I to, minutes. I add, Sorry, go on, Michael. I just want to say, it's, I, I'm not saying that the, the cases shouldn't be brought. I'm saying that it's a regrettable fact of life for Hong Kong that that seems sure. to be yeah. the only oh, vehicle oh, in yeah, which yeah. these sort of issues can be advanced. Because we're, we're talking about, the, you know, basic law gives protections for people. And all we're saying is, please, courts, can you please look at this policy or this law within the within the view of the basic law? Is it compliant? And if it's not, it's your duty to to say it's unlawful. And clearly, that's it's it's a very unsatisfactory way of doing it because you have to get an applicant and it takes time to come forward. Far better that the government look at its own policies and says. Okay, are we consistent with the basic law? Is our legislation, does it need to be updated? Is it in line with the basic law provisions that we, we recognise? Um, uh, and the best way to do that would be through LGBTI discrimination legislation. So it'd be like automatic updates rather yeah. than this piecemeal um, way in which we have to do it. Um, but you know, the government doesn't do it. So we've, we've got no other alternative. Yeah. yeah, we've got a I few mean, minutes left. Can we talk about recommendations, perhaps? And, you know, um, what, what should the government do? What can the public do? Um, I read in your report, you know, people have nowhere to pee. Should we install, yeah. you know, should we be looking at gender neutral bathrooms uh, around town and in institutions like offices yeah. and schools? What are some easy things we can start with? Well, I think, like, I in think the report that, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I say, uh, Big business is is quite good at this in that the all those companies that we look to as the sort or, or maybe the younger people might be wanting oh yeah I want to work for them those those companies have you know diversity policies they have and they have already taken or are taking these positive sort of small steps and you know installing a gender neutral toilet is not difficult you know I've got one in my office it's very easy it's it's a sign <laughs> you know? yes um, uh, you know it's no big deal. Um, so the more these sort of companies do it, the more that the the those in those jobs that everyone would love to work for, the big banks, the you know, um, the more they do it, the more it becomes the, the trickle down effect with with the smaller 
companies. And I think that, and I think the government does listen to the, the way business uh, reacts in, in issues such as this, because, you know, with the QT case, they, they listened to what, what the, um, what the, 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 these institutions were saying about how it was affecting their bottom line because of this immigration policy. Yeah. So and I think the same can be said for, so big business can lead the way in this, um, but it's not just for big business. We can all do it. We can all speak to our LegCo members and say, well, why aren't we doing this? Uh, on every conversation that we have where uh, it, it, it will be relevant if you're in a district council or you're in a, a village committee, you talk about, okay, well, you're going to have a public toilet somewhere. It can be raised. It's a matter of just putting it on front and centre um, whenever you get the opportunity. Um, and I think it's important that that's why the statistics are useful because it's there for education as well. Educators can can raise and discuss this issue, and they now have some facts in which they can do so. And as I mentioned before, reporting and these sort of programs, we can we've there's some sort of empirical data that, that references uh, and and assists in an argument rather than just anecdotal examples. Yeah. yeah. Professor Sam, we just have about 30 seconds left. What would your oh. first recommendation well, be? I think it can be at different levels. It can be at the level of uh, education, awareness raising and training. But uh, like many other changes, those would be very much be down to the person uh, executing it. So I think we need larger frameworks like policies and laws. But because those take a very long time to be done. I think there are also, like what Michael mentioned, those medium-term changes like um, gender-neutral toilets and also a lot of uh, administrative procedures like the ones that Noreen also brought up earlier on about banks allowing uh, their clients to use their self-identified gender. So I would say that the shorter-term changes need to be done. The longer-term changes, we also need to uh, uh, aspire to them. But in the meantime, the medium-term changes can still change uh, the well-being. Uh, uh, of a lot of people's lives on a very real and day-to-day -day basis. We need we they need the, the government to follow on from what the the Court of Final Appeal said in 2013 with a with a with the W case. You need to enact gender recognition, uh, gender identity legislation um, without delay. Um, you know the, our highest court has said this, um, and the government should be acting upon that. In a, in a meaningful way, rather than just parking it in some interdepartmental committee and doing nothing. Yeah, well, thank you so much for, for joining us this afternoon. I really hope by the next time we speak, the law will be enacted and we'll be having a different discussion. Uh, here's to uh, International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia, which is on Monday. Meanwhile, thank you so much to all our wonderful guests uh, joining us uh, this afternoon. Joanne Leung, who is the chairperson and the founder of the Transgender Resource Centre, human rights lawyer Michael Vidler, senior partner of Vidler Co-Solicitors, and also Professor Sun Yu Tung, the founder Director of Sexualities Research Program at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Thank you so much for joining us, and to you, Karen, for setting this Thank up. You Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. It was a great discussion. Thank you. Thank you.